This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 180 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Equestrian Collections. For all your holiday shopping needs at equestriancollections.com. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. And this week we have our producer Glenn on with us. Hey guys, hey Philip, it's Royal Winter Fair time. It's Royal Winter Fair week, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Tell everybody in the United States, a lot of people may not realize what a big deal the Royal Winter Fair is. It is huge in Canada. It is a huge show. Um, well, it's I guess it started as a fair, and over a hundred and some odd years, um, it's grown into this huge farming exhibition. I mean, um, there's everything there to do with to do with agriculture, you know, and uh, and then the the horse show is developed alongside with that. So there's a lot of um, jumping classes, hunter classes. And dressage stuff going on this week. Um, so that's great. They have a, a Grand Prix class. Uh, it went on today and tomorrow is the freestyle. And uh, I think all of the Canadian Olympic riders are, are showing in this class. And uh, they have a great uh, sponsorship. And uh, it's kind of a big deal. There's just everything. Everything is there. You know, it's uh, it's even tough to describe how kind of big it is and how... How many people are there? Um, yeah, we're talking tens and tens of thousands of people every day. Yeah, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. like uh, and and you know, a lot of people that have nothing to do with farming are there. They they have school class trips. Like everyone in Toronto knows about it, uh, whether they they have anything to do with horses or cows or not. Um, everybody goes. It's just a it's a great time. They have great food. I have some. Um, uh, I do have some stats for you. Uh, yeah, over bring it up. 325,000 attendees. Whoa. Um, 3,000 head of cattle, 1,300 yeah. horses, 1,600 birds, 500 sheep, 300 goats, 300 pigs. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. <laughs> All indoors. And is it always in, in, in Toronto? Uh, in Toronto. Is it in Toronto? Yeah. Right, like right wow. almost downtown Toronto. Really? No, wow. Yeah. It's indoors, and they bring it all in. And uh, so, no matter what the weather is, the uh, you know the show is going on, and uh, yeah, it's really awesome. It's it really sounds fun. it sounds kind of like our state fair, but on steroids. Yeah, like, it's we like have every fair, but like like to the nth degree of what a fair is. So it's uh, and it doesn't have the rides. Yeah, there's no there's no rides. But, it's just uh, a, it's an agricultural fair. But the, but yeah. now dressage is a big deal there. Yeah, because of the Grand Prix class, then um, then it's a big deal. They, I think they have usually you know ten, twenty thousand um, dollars worth of prize money to be had in the class. And uh, dressage night is uh, they do where they do the freestyle, always sold out. You know, it's hard. You have to get your tickets back in September, basically, and uh, and it's awesome. But I didn't get to go today. I was supposed to go today to check it out, but I didn't get to go. And it's probably best that I didn't because there's some really awesome. Shopping that goes on. <laughs> yes. You know, big tax come and bring their things. And and you, I normally spend way too much money. And, and Meredith spends more than way too much money. <laughs> that a girl. That's <laughs> right. Yes, he does. 
and uh, yeah, I would have loved to check it out, but it's just uh, it's been busy around here. And, so. and the jumpers are a big deal there. Uh, they do they do a lot of jumping classes. They have a lot of exhibitions where they bring in uh, entertainers and things, and, and the entertainment it, uh, it apparently is pretty popular there. Yeah, a lot of you know, you see some trick riders, some uh, a lot of demonstration riders. They do um, an aisle of different breeds of horses that they showcase, uh, you know, over the week, over the days. So uh, pretty much, if you can think of it, it's going on. There's a rodeo. Driving. Yeah, yeah, definitely driving. That's a huge thing, uh, with carriage classes that they have, and then they do a thing uh, indoor eventing. They even have where they do a, do a they? Wow. A simulated cross-country course indoors. So it's not, you know, not your traditional stadium fences. It's more to try and build a a a um, outdoor course indoors. It's tough to describe, but it's uh, it's something. Yeah, no, that's that's actually becoming more and more popular. But yeah, wow, who knew? It's crazy. Well, so if we wanted to find information about it, where would we find information out if we wanted to go next year? Well, the website, funny you asked, I just brought it up, <laughs> is royalfair.org. Royalfair.org. And we uh, would fly to Toronto? Of course. <laughs> wow. And everybody can go visit Philip and Meredith. They would love see it. Me. I would yeah, love to see this sometime because I've heard so much about it. I think we it. should make a, a field trip. I think it sounds like fun. I, the Horse Radio Network field trip. It's a great time. In November, you know, what else is going on, right? So, uh, oh. yeah, it's awesome. I highly recommend it. I think I everybody in Canada goes. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole population. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't think the East Coast, and the West Coast. Well, you know, a lot of the jumpers come in from uh, from Alberta. You know, from Spruce Meadows well, and stuff. They actually had a lot. They have a lot of uh, uh, foreign jumpers this year. A lot of well, they, uh, Jessica Springsteen is there. Reese Kessler, Reed Kessler's there. So uh-huh. a couple of our stars from down here are, are headed up for that show. Yeah. yeah, they must have. We had a big show here last year, last week, the uh, All Tech uh, National Horse Show. Did you get so over? Must, I did. I did get to go over, and that's one of the benefits of living in Lexington. Is um, there are all kinds of events, and the vet clinics are are there. Rudin Riddle had a wonderful symposium, and so we went and had lectures, and they had a, an evening uh, kind of dinner. And then uh, we were able to watch this horse show. So, um, and that happens here a lot. We have horsey events at least every week or every other week that we can go to. So uh, that was pretty exciting and had a great time. Uh, my whole barn went, and um, but it must have been a lot of the riders went from here to there. So um, that was good yeah. for them, sure. It's so eight or nine hour drive, so that's not too bad. Yeah, it's not too too bad. So in other news, we have some um, resignation of Marcus Grip. The Canadian uh, Dressage Canada regretfully announces the re- his resignation as technical leader for Dressage Canada High Performance Program. He was instrumental in Canada's team silver placing in the 2011 Pan American Games. Um, this result qualified Canada to send the team to the 2012 London Olympic Games. He was present with Canadian dressage athletes at the Games. Philip, what do you think Dressage Canada is going to do now? I don't know. I mean, we. Um, I, guess, I suppose they haven't. They haven't announced. You know what what the plan is, or or when they're going to be. You know, holding interviews for his replacement. This is kind of a new thing that's just uh, just announced. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the what the plan is for the future. I mean, uh, it's really important to have a technical leader. You know, during the Pan Ams and then the Olympics. So uh, perhaps they might. Uh, take some time and uh and this year with no major games going on 
um, design a new plan and, and see where the direction of Dressage Canada is going to go with, uh, with a new technical leader. And it, didn't Canada, aren't they also looking for a new, uh, a new leader period? A new big boss? Didn't I read that? Yes, that's also true. I'm not completely up to date what's going on with, uh, that's a Equine Canada right. thing. So, As a matter um, of fact, I just got an email this week that uh, the Equine Canada Nominations Committee would like to remind all interested candidates that the deadline to submit admissions is fast approaching. So if you want to be Canada's director at large. Um, so, yeah, they're looking for that. I think, yeah, I think that's a big job. <laughs> it won't be me. <laughs> you're not applying. Maybe Reese. Maybe you're Reese. No, I'm not going to apply. That. No, <laughs> that's funny. No. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I think no. It'll be, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be important to get some some new blood in, I think, and uh, reorganize things and uh, design a plan going forward to uh, you know the 2016 games and uh, the World Equestrian Games, of course. So uh, it'll be exciting to see what what happens and uh, and who's going to take the reins of this ship. And continuing in the news, Adelinda Cornelison and Parseval claim the second leg of the FEI World Cup with convincing wins in Lyon, France. They scored an incredible 89.375%, placing them well ahead of Italy's Valentina Trupa. After changing her training style by lightening her riding, it was clear that Parseval is coming to understand the new aids that he's receiving from his rider and responding really well, and she's doing awesome after two victories yeah she's she's something to watch so i hope everyone can look that up online because that score is great so good for her for changing and and i think as you ride a grand prix horse there's always room for improvement and sometimes you have to get a little creative or or think outside the box and i think that she's been working on that so good for her great so what else is coming up on our show today reese so we have a, a really informative show. Lisa Garetta, who is the chairman of the Performance Standard Committee, is Performance Standard Subcommittee for USEF, is going to come on and talk to us a little bit about the new rider performance tests that are uh, starting December 1st. And then we have a helmet series and following uh, with a guest who is um, a wonderful trainer from uh, South Carolina, Katie Pogue, is going to talk about the importance of elasticity in your elbows. So after this break from Equestrian Collections, Lisa Garetto will come on and talk with us about the rider performance test. Hi, Glenn here from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm with Debbie from Equestrian Collections. How are you, Debbie? Hi, Glenn. I'm just great. And this week, I wanted to feature something that we have on our website, www.equestriancollections.com. You know, a lot of people say, are you only online? Well, you know what? We have taken care of that for you. We are online, but we're also catalogs online. If you go to our website, and at the very top of the page of the homepage, you will see a little box that says catalogs. You click on that and all the catalogs from our different vendors come up. All you have to do is click on any one of them and it opens up just like a book. It's just really cool. You just click at the bottom of the page and the page turns as if you were looking at a catalog, um, you know, sitting there in bed or something. But the best part of this kind of catalog is if you click on it, and we have this item available. All you have to do is click on it. It takes you right over so you can order it right there. So it's very convenient, and you can look at all the different things and just 
spend all day doing that if you'd like, because we've got plenty of them. I do really like that the fact that uh, you're looking at the at, really at the manufacturer's catalog, and if you guys have it, you can just click on it. It takes you to the order page. If you don't have it, it just pops up with a little thing that says item not available, so you know exactly what you can get and what you can't get. That's exactly right, and that's such a help, too, because, you know, if we can't get it, then you can't get it. So here we go. We can every, you'll know right away if you can get it from us. Very good. That's uh, go to equestriancollections.com, the catalogs tab at the top of the page at equestriancollections.com. So, Lisa, we are excited to get started and learn all about the new rider tests that are coming into play December 1st this year. Um, Yes, we're very excited about them, too. It's been a four-year process of um, developing them um, through the Performance Standards Subcommittee. Uh, We've got a very good group of licensed officials, biomechanics experts, and this is the first time we've had a joint effort between the United States Dressage Federation and the United States Equestrian Federation Dressage Committee in developing a program together. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about the tests, how they came about, their purpose, and, uh, and how riders can get involved with this. Well, the new rider tests are going to come into effect on December 1st, 2012. Um, we are offering them at training, first and second level tests. The thing that is primarily different about these tests from uh, traditional technical dressage tests is that rather than following the training period pyramid, um, to evaluate the training of the horse, these tests instead focus on the rider's ability to perform um, not only uh, their proficiency and the requirements for the given level, uh, but also their abilities as a rider um, to apply the aids correctly, to use correct riding biomechanics, and to fulfill the geometric requirements of the test without giving extra credit to the horse's gates. So, Lisa, you can pretty much, sounds like, ride any horse that you have for this test. Yes. Um, they're not designed specifically to be for the non-competitive, um, typically um, warm blood type of dressage horse. Um, any horse can do these, just as any horse can benefit from the basics of dressage. But, um, yes, for riders to feel that they may have um, a disadvantage in going into the regular test, certainly they would not have that disadvantage in the rider test. They are very different from the traditional tests. Um, we base them on the same format as the young horse test, so that rather than giving individual scores for each movement, the judges will watch the entire test using the directive ideas for the movements, and then the scoring is based on only five scores that will be given at the end of the test, again, similar to the rider tests or to the young horse tests. Um, so. In this case, um, judges will be evaluating specifically the rider's position, their effective use of the aids, the horse's response, and the accuracy of the exercises. Um, really the only specific score that is um, evaluated as part of the horse is the harmony between the horse and rider. Tests will be available at most shows. Are you anticipating? Um, I think that it will be interesting to see what markets um, jump on these tests first. Certainly, they will be able to be offered at any USEF Federation licensed dressage show, um, but we expect also to see a lot of them at schooling shows. Um, These tests are 
can be judged by any level of judge. I expect that we will have a lot of um, graduate judges um, in in schooling shows. Um, the focus on riders and evaluating riders is going to be a major portion of the 2013 National Judges Forum, and the L program is also working on some additional educational uh, modules for the L graduates. So, Lisa, where could we find the test if we wanted our students to to start working on these tests? Where would we find them, and how do we how do we know where to enter? Well, just like the regular disaster tests, all you have to do is log on now to usef.org, and you can download the tests, the tra- the um, any of the national tests or the training first and second level rider tests. Um, shortly into 2013, um, there'll also be a portion of um, the USDF member guide, as the regular tests are, and I expect that uh, we will also be able to see them from those companies that have done such a great job in providing tests like uh, Visage Illustrated and Mini Widgets. Um, certainly, they'll be in some of the Omnibuy as well. I would expect that Perhaps not the shows in the very beginning of the year will offer them because they were not out at the same time uh, early enough for their prize list to be submitted. But shortly thereafter, I hope that we'll see them in all competitions, probably in the beginning as a rider test of choice. Now, is there a vision for this to become like uh, a national championship test or is this just designed a little bit towards grassroots uh, schooling show type stuff? Wow, you're way ahead of us. (laughs) I I think that in the beginning, uh, although, yes, we have already had questions when you're doing the third, fourth um, level test as well, we wanted to get our feet wet, um, let everybody have an opportunity to see these new tests, ride them, see what's good, and see what can be improved. We'll see where the industry wants it to go. If they want more tests going up the the levels, then certainly that is an option. Um, At this point, there are... No plans to include them, for example, in the regional championships, but I would not be at all surprised if we do not see um, uh, an awards program within the USDF that is similar to the uh, rider medals for for the rider test. They will not be part of the bronze, silver, and gold medals, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if we didn't have something coming along to allow riders to have recognition of their achievements in the rider tests. There are, at this point, no plans to add them into the regional championships. I've had people suggest that they be used as an, an introductory portion of the Versace Deputation uh, Championships. Uh, I've had people suggest that we use them for um, an opportunity for riders who are not interested or not feeling successful in the traditional tests to be able to use these as part of uh, their regular competition. These tests are uh, tests that will affect the number of tests that you can do in a day. So, for example, since these are all at training first and second level, they would be part of the maximum of three tests that you can ride in a day, unlike the traditional Basashi deportation tests. Excellent. Lisa, can you just tell us a little bit, can go through training first and second level, what are the riders required to do at each level? Well, at, at training level, all of the trot work is, is to be ridden um, in the rising trot, just as, as the traditional training level. Um, one thing that's a little different about these tests is that the onus is not so much on the exact execution at the letter as 
you would find in training level. That while certainly the accuracy and the geometry is important, what the judges will be looking for is more the overall impression and um, harmony between the horse and rider in the way that they are executing the test. So certainly many of the things are are going to be very familiar. Um, the half circles at 20 meters. But um, in a half circle of 20 meters near the center line, for example, we've got three to six steps of walk um, to give the judge an, op- an opportunity to evaluate how the rider maintains their posture and alignment, how they ride the transition, whether or not the horse is properly bent on the half circle, whether or not they show a smooth forward transition, whether they have um, a few well-defined walk steps as they then proceed back into the working trot. Certainly, the changes of rain will be very familiar. The dates will be the same, the working walk, the working trot, the medium walk, the free walk. Um, Of course, everyone will want to have an opportunity to show their ability at the stretching circle. But in all cases, a rider on a great moving horse if they can't sit on that great moving horse, will not have an advantage, as they will so much in the training level test. Um, if you have a, a wonderful mover and you can ride that wonderful mover, that's always an advantage. But in this case, for the rider test, the focus is truly on how the rider does his job. Excellent. And how about the first level test? Well, as we move on into first level, um, there the judges will be looking for, uh, just as in the training level tests, um, the requirements for training level, but as we move on into first level, they'll be looking for correct alignment, posture, and mechanics. There will be more sitting trot work, so the ability to um, maintain a steady elastic rein contact. Um, One thing that that, perhaps unless you've been around in dressage for a very long time, will be a new movement, and it's not been in the rule book um, for many, many years, and that is we've reintroduced the turn on the forehand, um, in this case because it's a great training exercise. Uh, The transitions will have to be in a little better balance, but again, the judges will be looking for how the rider um, rides the transition more than the horse's performance. Movements will be similar, but the big thing to remember in rider tests is that when, for example, they're doing a working canter in a circle of roughly than 20 meters, in the second half of the circle, there's a lengthening of the stride in the canter. So the judge will be looking for whether or not the rider is centered, whether or not they are vertical and symmetrical, whether or not they show the correct mechanics and timing in and the working and the lengthening of the canvas strides, whether they maintain an elastic rein contact. So these are very different things. If you look at the technical tests, um, we're truly focusing on the rider. Excellent. And um, to finish with this, the second level, what, what are the requirements at the second level? Well, you'll find in the rider test that the training level test is very user-friendly. The first level test is requires a little bit more um, where we really got down to brass tacks as to whether or not the rider is doing a sufficient job of the mechanics required, biomechanics, and the geometry of the second level test. It's a tough test, and it's a little bit longer. In 
the second level tests, you'll not only have the traditional movements, the median crop with a few steps of collection over um, X, which comes from the technical test, but in this case, uh, the judges will be looking for correct sitting mechanics of the rider um, in the collected in the median gait, whether or not they maintain the straightness and the balance, whether or not the horse lengthens and shortens the stride and the frame and in a consistent tempo, but all from the rider's perspective. Um, otherwise, the, the requirements of second level, the shoulder in, the medium walk, um, the half turn, the haunches, those are all there, um, as is the three-loop serpentine with a simple change. But in all cases, it's the judge will be evaluating how the rider performs those tasks. At second level, certainly the geometry becomes a little more important, whether or not serpentine is a correct three-loops whether or not there is straightness each time the crossing center line. Um, certainly that is a, a factor in the technical second-level test, but the onus is much more on the rider in the rider test. Great. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on and teaching us a little bit about what's going to happen uh, starting December 1st. And uh, I know I'm going to have some clients that are really excited about these tests, and I look forward to, to doing them uh, with everyone. So thanks so much for coming on tonight. Well, we're very excited about them. We've had great feedback in the development of them from um, the USDX certified instructors. We've had a lot of um, great work and feedback in defining rider biomechanics. I think it will be a, a little bit of a learning curve for um, our judges, which, again, is why they're going to focus on judge training for riders in 2013. We're looking forward to it. I think this is a, um, a huge progressive step for dressage in the United States. Well, Reese and Philip, we have coming up uh, next the first part in a helmet series that we are doing in conjunction with Charles Owen and Riders for Helmets and the whole Horse Radio Network, actually. And this is a special holiday series called Giving the Gift of Safety, Purchasing a Helmet for You and Your Loved Ones at Christmas. And we had the help of Roy from Charles Owen, who I, I know that you probably know, uh, and he probably knows more about helmets than his family does for the last hundred years than anybody anybody out there. So uh, we're also working with Lindsay over at uh, Riders for Helmets with some amazing stories and interviewing some amazing people who have survived uh, crashes and things. So this will be a series over the next couple of weeks, and that we hope you enjoy it. This is part one of our helmet series. <laughs> Glenn the Geek here, founder of the Horse Radio Network. We are excited to bring you a special holiday helmet mini-series, giving the gift of safety, purchasing a helmet for your loved ones at Christmas. In cooperation with Charles Owen and Riders for Helmets, we have created this six-part mini-series to highlight some amazing real-life stories and some tips on buying helmets as gifts. This is a series of short segments that will run on this show over the next six weeks. This week, we speak with Roy from Charles Owen on the importance of helmet fit, and next week, we'll hear the amazing story of recovery from someone who was saved by her helmet. Well, hi, Roy. Thank you so much for joining us on this special holiday helmet miniseries. We appreciate you being part of it. We're, it's great to be part of something that we're so passionate about. Tell us a little bit about Charles Owen. You know, a lot of people have heard the name. Some are very familiar with it because they wear the helmets, but there are others who are not. Well, Charles Owen was started by my grandfather back in 1911. So we've been involved in helmets for over 100 years. 
The our first um, motorcycle helmet was actually produced in 1928, and we got uh, our first horse racing helmet in 1938, which was actually won by the winner of the Grand National at the time. Can I ask what they were what what they were made out of back then? Oh, they right. were made of uh, shellac and linen uh, combination. Okay. Um, so, and then we had draw laces and concussion tapes, and then cork started to come in to uh, be used as a shock absorber before we now get into the more modern materials. Huh. Oh, very interesting. Okay. So, Charles Owen really was was trying to produce helmets that were very much at the leading edge. And we got involved very early on back in the early 50s in the standards committees, which actually helped to develop the, the attributes of a helmet and what we need in a helmet and develop the research from the doctors and the uh, research, accident research people to really understand what we were trying to produce. You know, obviously up to modern day where you have a wide selection and variety of helmets at Charles Owen uh, to cover a number of disciplines. Oh, yes. We have the largest range of safety products, which allows people to really decide on their own style. They're not kind of wearing a helmet for a helmet's sake. But now it's become very much part of the outfit. And we've seen this now with the dressage communities now starting to come on board. And they are looking for their own style to complement their uh, overall picture. And as we get through this series over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about style and function. And also we're going to talk about understanding the standards and, and the certifications and everything that goes into helmets so people know what they're looking for when they go shopping for one. Today, we want to talk a little bit about helmet fit. And, you know, we're talking in this series about giving the gift of safety, basically purchasing a helmet for your loved ones at at the holidays, at Christmas time, how it's the perfect gift. But one of the things that that we have to be aware of is fit, don't we? Oh, absolutely. And there is, I must totally agree with, there is no better gift than giving the gift of safety. And often when people approach this, they spend a lot of time perusing what type of model they're going to buy and the, you know, trying to understand the technologies that people are talking about. But really, that's very much only part of the story. It's thinking about how do you get the helmet to fit the person you're buying the helmet for? I mean, there are many, many uh, accidents that we investigate where helmets have not fit properly and the person has had either a severe injury or has actually died just because the helmet didn't fit. There was nothing wrong with the helmet, but the helmet actually shifted during the accident and exposed the head, and that's not given, and so you got no protection at all. Now, as far as helmet fit itself is concerned, uh, they are to be fairly snug, and the general rule of thumb I always heard was like a, a finger's length above the eyebrow. I mean, some people, um, depending on the, on the depth of your head, uh, depends on how far it comes down. And some people really do like to have the helmet right down on the eyebrows so they can see the edge of the helmet. It kind of gives them that, that, that ring of confidence that they've got something that's going to protect them. But um, the general rule is, yes, um, about three-quarters of an inch above the eyebrows 
allows a little bit of air to get into the forehead and keep the rider cool. Um, I often, for people who've never experienced a helmet, I normally say it's a bit like buying a new pair of boots or a new pair of uh, good shoes. They're going to be supportive. They're going to be a little bit tight, and you're not going to expect to wear them for eight hours on the first outing. Um, so often with a new helmet, uh, to try it wearing it around the house rather than actually on horseback. So if it does get a little bit tight in the place, you can just lift the helmet. Because what happens is if you have an area of tightness, your head expands in that part of tightness. And of course, because you've made the, your head bigger in that area, it actually makes it tighter. And so therefore you get this whole um, uh, vicious circle of, of, of pain and, and, and tightness. So just lifting the helmet off your head allows your head to revert to its original uh, head shape and the helmet would have been stretched a little bit in that place. So just wearing it for an hour or so just around the house will, make, will help to break in the helmet. And the more and more often you put it on and off your head, the best way to break a helmet in. So the fit of the helmet is really important. And of course, when you're buying it for somebody else, you need to have a few strategies to uh, arrange a correct helmet for them. So maybe the first strategy, which is kind of the easiest, is if the person's already got a helmet and you're thinking, hmm, this helmet's getting a bit tired, maybe we need, you know, they would like to have a new fresh helmet of the same style, you can obviously look inside the helmet and uh, take a uh, note of the model and the size and uh, of course just order a replacement for them hoping that the uh, their original helmet fit okay but of course often when we do helmet checks we find that helmets don't fit okay sometimes people have got helmets that are three sizes too big for them and so you have to have another strategy for this. So we would always um, uh, suggest you find a local retailer. Uh, in fact, we do a lot of training of retailers and give and issue certification certificates to the employees that we actually train. Because obviously it's not the store that we train, it's the individuals inside it. And if that individual isn't serving you, then you're not going to be getting the best experience. So that's the first thing to search, and if you do have a problem finding somebody, then uh, we would only be too happy over our website to answer any questions about finding a retailer that would suit. So thinking about you're not sure what type of helmet is going to work for them, um, the first thing is uh, simply uh, getting a gift card for them, uh, which specifies that you want to have this gift card go towards a helmet purchase. And most retailers will issue a gift card. Now, if we want to step it up a bit and really kind of get this sense that you're trying to give a gift of safety, then maybe having the card for an appointment with a professional helmet fitter would actually really emphasize that you do take care. This is not just a, a products you're purchasing, you're actually going to be purchasing an experience for them. And they're actually perhaps very, very first time in their life, they might have actually be going for a professional helmet fitting. So talk to your local retailer about whether that's something they can offer. Something else that you could do if, you, if you're just feeling that you can't arrange for, the, for that helmet fitting to take place is perhaps buying something a little bit on the larger size 
because you know when you open up the present the worst thing is is when you can't even get the helmet on your head <laughs> so buying something a little bit on the big side but there's a big warning here a lot of stores will not accept return helmets um it's uh, they often have it so if you are going to buy something that you're intending to return or have it refitted do make sure that the store is going to be happy because some stores will only allow gift certificates and won't allow you to return the helmet. And then, of course, that's, that's a real nightmare. And I might offer another alternative, too, is that you take the person early, forget about the surprise, tell them you're buying the helmet for them for the holidays, and let them start wearing it right away. So they get the protection immediately, and you still are getting them the gift of, of safety. So, Oh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great, great suggestion. That would... Now, an, an area that also that a lot of people ignore about um, fitting, and in fact, some stores actually don't do this for you because they expect the customer to do it themselves is adjusting the harness they kind of fit the helmet on your head and then they just kind of leave you to do the straps so do when you do the ha- uh, have the helmet fitted do make sure that they take care to adjust the strap underneath your chin as well as the uh, adjustment systems at the rear of the head because if those systems are not adjusted correctly it's quite possible for the helmet to actually fly off the uh, off the head during the uh, during the fall, and of course, then the whole of the rest of the fitting system has has been rendered useless. Something else that I've seen a thousand times over, and people, a lot of people don't realize that if your helmet, it, your current helmet, is more than five years old, you should replace it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, five years of you know an average user. I mean, if you're somebody that rides every day, it's probably going to be a shorter life than that. Where can people learn more about the Charles Owens helmets that are available for the holidays? Well, our website is a great place to start. It has all our whole range, um, but uh, it's always worthwhile just popping down to your local retailer um, who has a good selection of, uh, of helmets. Thank you, Roy. We'll be back again next time to talk about the standards and the standards and certifications inside a helmet and what do they mean. Thank you to Riders for Helmets for everything they do for helmet awareness and safety. You can visit them at ridersforthenumber4helmets.com. And thank you to Charles Owen. You can visit them at charlesowen.co.uk. Back next week with the amazing story of a woman who survived a very tragic fall thanks to her helmet. the show we have uh, dressage uh, rider trainer usdf bronze silver and gold medalist katie pogue from south carolina well i'm very happy to have miss katie pogue on our show this evening katie how are you tonight i'm doing well thanks how are you i'm great so katie we are excited to get started with your tip about elastic elbows well i have noticed in teaching my students of different ages and different abilities that a lot of people enjoy watching videos and professionals and have this opinion that a lot of the top riders sit very still, which they do, and when they try to emulate that, they end up tightening through parts of their body. And one of the parts that I've noticed is in the elbow area. And so... I have found that in teaching a lot of these students, we work on exercises to 
make them follow the oscillation of the horse's neck and other parts in the canter and stuff like that. And they seem to become looser through their back, through their hips, and actually start following the motion of the horse more. The problems that I've seen is that when they try to sit so still and so perfect, like some of their favorite top riders who have had years and years and years of experience, they get really tight through the elbow and then start opening and closing the fingers. They lose their rein contact. It gets too long. They're very stiff through their upper body, down to their lower body, their hips and their legs, and they end up gripping. And so I've been able to find that if I can isolate more through the elbow and get them more in rhythm with the horse through the elbow and following and and just almost working in some exercises and different things to make them more aware of that, they actually start letting go in other parts of their body. They start getting looser. The horse's back starts relaxing more. And it's just, it has been a, a helpful teaching tip and exercise for me and and many of my students and so I felt it would be fun to discuss and and see if anybody else has kind of experienced things like that too. Yeah, I think that's Um, definitely, you know, you don't want to have any kind of tension going on in the rider when you're trying to uh, convey elasticity in in the contact. So do you want to go ahead and give us some examples or, or some exercises that you work on for this? You know, starting in the walk, you know, we've a lot of us have learned that, you know, you follow a closed fist near your elbow, you're following towards the horse's mouth with the contact and following the oscillation of the horse's neck, trying to create more relaxation through the back, more overtrack, and overall greater relaxation. And um, in the trot, it's a little bit more difficult because there's not really a rhythm to follow. And, you know, the canter, similar to the walk, you have more of a rhythm to follow. Um So I will do different exercises where, you know, I make them almost do the extremes of things where I make a ride with a completely straight arm or, you know, a really, really bent arm and then kind of find something in the middle um, or, I mean, just kind of different, different ways for them to realize that they're opening their fists and keeping a really stiff shoulder and stiff elbow and trying to find ways that they can close their fist completely and generate the suppling through the elbow versus opening and closing the rein and, you know, working different lengths of rein and kind of making an exercise of how they can do things with long reins versus short reins. Um, and, and then when they do that, it just it seems to allow them to relax their shoulders, their upper back, their lower back, and it just, the body just becomes more elastic. And um, and also, too, just the, the position of the wrist and the hand, and that you can't really relax your elbows if your hands are turned, you know, thumbs facing thumbs, that, you know, work on exercises that they, you know, rotate the wrist completely, thumbs pointing out, thumbs pointing in, and then try to settle with the thumbs you know, on top of a closed fist. And, you know, a lot of times you'll see, I have experienced from some of um, students that I've had that have come from the jumping world, you know, their elbows are far apart from their body and trying to bring their elbows closer. And once their elbows are closer, then it connects more with their back and they have more stability through their core, which once they have that, 
then they're more relaxed. Um, and so even exercises where you rotate the wrist, where you point the thumb out and point the thumb in and then kind of settle in the middle. And then also exercises where, you know, if your hands are super wide, it opens up the area for our upper bodies to lean forward and then our elbows want to come behind our back and just making them ride. Exercise, again, making their hands go really, really wide and then really close and just letting them, you know, once they feel the extremes of the, the awkwardness where they're actually kind of wanting to go towards, then I think it's more of an eye-opener for them when they go, you know, that's, wow, that's what I'm doing. It's so much more comfortable and I feel like I have so much more control when I come close to my body with my elbow and I rotate my wrist and my thumbs on top and I can bend my elbow and, and things like that, the, the the core starts coming together and parts of the body start working together more in harmony. And, um, and so just kind of little exercises where, you know, you put them kind of in, in extremes, almost kind of a lunging lesson where you make parts of their body kind of do different things and then come back to kind of a neutral center, um, to, to help find the elasticity. And Katie, you talked a little bit about the shoulder. I think that was a really, uh, you talked about it quickly, but talk a little bit more about how important the shoulder is also, not just the elbow. Well, and in, for a lot of us and teachers and students, you know, you hear this shoulder hip heel and the vertical alignment of our body and classical position. Some people say ear, shoulder, hip, heel. And, and so when you're trying to maintain the alignment as a rider, you have, you know, the shoulders are part of it. And if the shoulders are not sitting above the hips, then you're going to have problems when you're trying to use your body to help encourage the horse to connect more. And so then also in, in exercises and things, you know, I do pay attention to the shoulders and people sitting up straight and shoulders back and, you know, preparing for turns or corners through their upper body and through their shoulders. And the, the elbow is a part of that too. And if the shoulders and the collarbone, almost like you're holding your breath, if that is very stiff, even more so if your elbows are away from your body, then again, it's more resistance through our body and we're not able to keep our alignment. We have more stiffness, even in the neck. You'll have people who, when they sit the trot, um, they release bounce out of different parts of their body. And if the shoulders are stiff or out of alignment, that a lot of times you have riders that bob their head or have a tight neck or even kind of twist in their torso when the horse leans in and we're trying to create lateral balance through the horse's body and we're even out of lateral balance. And, and so I think, you know, I just keep finding that the more that I can work on riders' positions and just the overall understanding of how all the parts of our body really, the more relaxed we are and the less we try to hold things and force things, um, the more we're in the motion of the horse and we're with the horse and the horse is happier. The rider actually starts absorbing and relaxing through the motion of the horse and you're able to generate energy and release it into more controlled um, 
movements and, and, and direction. And I think it just, it has been something that I think has been an eye opener for, an eye opener for some of my students who have just kind of wanted to be very stiff and not move. And if you don't move, it, it'll happen. And I think the, the looser that I make them, the more relaxed I make them, it just it helps them feel more of their horse. And so the shoulders definitely are, are part of the whole package. Yeah. I mean, the ideas that you talked about that I really like is sometimes, um, you know, going to the extremes with your body, you know, if you're doing something, you know, like hunching the shoulders and taking them even exaggerated further back, because I think what a lot of people try and do is, you know, go to the exact right position. Well, sometimes you have to go beyond it, you know, to feel that that's wrong, you know, get just move around yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I think... You know, um, people just trying to get right to right to the vertical all the time with their shoulder, hip, heels, sort of thing, can 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 constrict things too much, and you really start pushing against the horse. What do you think, Reese? No, I think I, I agree absolutely with you guys. And and I think one of the things that I always find when I am working with a new student is they may say, oh, my God, I'm leaning back. Or or we all know that feeling when you make a, a, a change in your position and your balance. Sometimes it does feel like you're leaning too far back or you're too far forward. Um, and then I, I had a student this week. Her mom brought a video camera out because she said, I'm leaning too far back. I'm leaning too far back. And I said, nope, you're actually right where you need to be. Um, so to have somebody come and video her was really helpful because she, she then got back to me and said, oh, no, you're right. I'm, I'm perfect. But that can happen uh, as you make a change like that, wouldn't you guys say? No, I, I definitely agree. And, and on that note with the videos, I'm a big believer with my students of, you know, videoing and, and showing them what they're feeling and, you know, again, somebody that thinks they're really sitting, I have a student really sitting, you know, at the vertical and, you know, you make them lean farther back beyond the vertical. So then when they come up, they're actually more centered. And I did the same thing where as she is learning to work with the canner and be more balanced on her new horse, um, she grew up in the hunter world. And so she is a little bit more forward in, you know, kind of a closed hip, um, and bringing her back to find the vertical is harder. And so it is one of those things, showing her and, and showing her the range of where things feel and just, you know, she feels a little uncomfortable going back that far, but then after practicing it, then she gets there, then she starts feeling the balance and how she can use her seat more. She has equal balance over her seat bones. And, you know, then the horse is more responsive and... The whole the whole package just starts working better. So no, I definitely agree with that with the videos. I think it's I think it's key for all of us. Yeah, and I think there was a good point there in saying like sometimes you have to spend, you know, a few days being a little bit uncomfortable to just to work with that for a while and not say you know not show up for a lesson and say you know, well, that really made me feel uh, uncomfortable or, or like it didn't, it didn't really work for me. Go home and just ride like you were for the week and then come back. And then, you know, that's, that's very frustrating for an instructor to just, you know, really try and commit to a change in position to, uh, to, to do that for a week. If you come back after a week and, you know, you're saying this is really uncomfortable, this is really not working, 
then you know discuss it with the trainer and see what you can do but i think just committing for a few days and then i think you know most of the time after the few days you you start to unlock some things and start to process some things through your body and 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 mentally and and it really can work but i've definitely had those students where it's just like it's not going to change you know like when you you know when they feel uncomfortable then they just go back to the old way and then you can't get anything any progress going yeah, no, I, I agree, and, and I think, too, finding, and I think different, everybody learns in a different way, and sometimes when you say it just very matter-of-fact, you know, it doesn't, they don't process it as much, or it doesn't really click, but, you know, sometimes I've found with some students, if you just, you know, put them in different series of exercises, even if it's lunging and, and really isolating the position, and, you know, it's almost coming around, the back door a little bit where you're just sort of sneaking these exercises in and and you don't really give them the rhyme or reason why you're doing it. And then kind of by the end of the lesson, you know, they start going, wow, I feel so much more effective. I'm doing this. And it was like, yes, that was what we discussed yesterday and it didn't quite work in discussion. So today, you know, we tried these different exercises without really making you just really zone into it and, and the pressure of I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this, and you just kind of make it more fun. And then all of a sudden they kind of start adjusting their body, and, and sometimes that, I think, seems to work where you do that sometimes or even a series of days or rides, and, um, and it becomes more fun than this drill of i got to do this, it's not right if I don't do that. And then when somebody gets so mentally involved with it that way or frustrated, then they actually start tightening other parts of their body, getting leverage to straighten something or make something better. And so that's, you know, again, back around to the to the elbow thing. A lot of people, you know, I think throughout that even lunch lesson, they try so hard to hold themselves still to get leverage for something else. And it's just, you know, I find picking out different parts of the body and working to get it in more harmony with the horse and stuff in in those directions that then it actually unlocks something else and an eye opener for another part of the body and then they engage that and then feel that and all of a sudden now they're feeling something for the first time because they finally let go of something else that they were holding on to to get leverage to do, you know, and it, and it is just this kind of ongoing cycle. And a lot of people, it really clicks and they can adjust things and physically they're great, but we have all ages of riders, all shapes. And I think it's our job as instructors to, you know, continue working. In, and I think it's great to work with all disciplines and everybody works slightly different, like I said, and just coming up with these great ideas where you can plug into different people and either how they learn or physical issues or stiffnesses or things like that so that everybody can still participate and try and try to get these feelings um, and just overall become better and, and more educated. And I think the more that people know their whole range and, and why the body works, the way it does and why the position is how it is and, and all that. And um, I think all of that is just, it's really, really key. And, um, and so I really try to help people find that balance and understanding. You know, I want them to have the chance to feel the things that I feel and, and enjoy it as much as I enjoy it. And um, I think it's just, it's, it's interesting to try to, 
to teach all the different people and horses, and we do the same with horses as far as different exercises and different horses learn, you know, at different rates, and, and some exercises are better for, for other horses that make them click and learn, and, and and being able to teach that for them, to me, it applies the same way to students and, and trying to find a way that, that things really click for them and make sense and, and keeping it fun, that it isn't that you just drill it and grind it and and you lose the fun and you're never going to get there and, and all that and the frustration comes through and, and just trying to give them windows where, ah, there it is, you got it. All right, now we got to keep this and keep this feeling until it just becomes, you know, the the regular feeling and, and just the normal of, of how this is supposed to feel. And I think after the repetition of things and and stuff like that, it, it, it does sink in. And then the more, the more they feel it, the more they want to do it, keep going, and, and then you have something to build from. Katie, thanks so much for the tip. That was great. So uh, where can we find you on the Internet? Um, I have a website, katiepogdressage.com, and my email is katiepogdressage at yahoo.com. And um, to look me up, and I enjoyed talking with you guys, and it was great, and Really happy that you guys have a program like this going. Thanks, Katie. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. That was a great interview with Katie, friend of the show, friend of Reese and, and mine, and a, and a great uh, tips about about riding and how to improve your position and your performance. Also this week, we had some great feedback on the bidding, the two-part bidding series that we did. Uh, Lita Cunningham sees uh, gave us a great compliment and also... Vera, who we've heard from before, really liked that segment. So I think we're probably going to do part three. What do you think, Reese? Yeah, I think that was great. I, I also really enjoyed that segment myself. I think that's something that uh, the bidding, uh, it's not usually talked about. And, and I'm glad we talked about it and, and we can continue. Uh, Beth was wonderful and we'll have her back on the show. I'm sure she'll love to come back on and, and we'll talk about more questions. So if you have any other questions for Beth uh, about bidding or uh, some specific questions, uh, again, Vera is wonderful friend of the show. She gave us some great questions, but please, please send it to us and, and we will try and get that on the show. And if we can't ask uh, or answer any questions that you send in, we will make sure that we find somebody that can. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, oh, you can find... We go, before we go today, oh. before oh. you're Sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. You guys are going to be together tomorrow. Yeah, we we're, uh, are. What's that? Are Baltimore? Uh, is Hopefully. this just a party, or are you going to be doing something important? <laughs> no, no, this is very no, important. no. Educational it's very important. Stuff. What are you? It's actually where Philip and I um, uh, actually met at this conference. Uh, oh gosh, about seven years ago. Uh, it's a conference that we go to every fall. We've talked about it a little on the show, but uh, it's the Young Dressage Horse Trainers Conference, and it's hosted um, at Scott Hassler at Hassler Dressage and Harmony Sport Horses in uh, Maryland, a beautiful, beautiful farm. And we get together with about 40 other trainers uh, and we work hard and we and network and, and have a great time. Uh, so uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hanging out with Philip in person all weekend. <laughs> and uh, This is it, a really great really educational is. thing, you know, and, and we thank uh, the Hasslers and Harmony for putting it on and year after year bringing great, great trainers to this thing to give us advice and uh, – it's awesome. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to that. And uh, maybe we'll get some pictures together. Maybe we'll post some stuff on 
on the Facebook page or, or, or something. We yeah, can, at least take know. one or two sober ones. Oh, come on. <laughs> we will, we will. Well, it is. It, it's a great networking. It's it's one of the only conferences that that I go to. Phil, uh, I'm not sure about you, but where it's just trainers. It's it's not press. It's not owners. It's really dedicated to um, kind of bu- building the village of trainers, um, which is really nice. Uh, it's hard to find that, and uh, it is great. Uh, again, that's how I met Philip, and and how the radio show started, and and that kind of thing. Um, so it is really, uh, it is something I look forward to i know philip is the same every year so can't wait for tomorrow hopefully there's a nor'easter i was coming just gonna in. say you get a blessing of some snow you get to play it no, let's, let's hope that that's over over and done with you know <laughs> yeah, before we land <laughs> and and all our friends that are still cleaning up from sandy we uh we still all think of you and and hopefully tomorrow with the snow coming in you're you're doing okay um but uh we look forward to it and we will definitely have something to talk about we'll talk all about the conference and what we learned uh this coming weekend so can't can't wait. Now you can finish. Okay. Right. Go ahead. So, <laughs> so everybody, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website at dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook. Just search for Dressage Radio Show. We love your posts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com. And my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Equestrian Collections. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down, your shoulders back, work on your elastic elbows for this week, and we can't wait to talk to you next week. <laughs>